Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the brilliant comedian Joanne McNally, who is one of my favourite comedians who I recently discovered at Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2018. She was one of the stand-ups who I really remembered and couldn't stop thinking about some of the stuff she said. And she really stood out. So when I messaged her on Twitter saying, do you want to come on my podcast? It turned out she was already a listener. So it was very exciting to meet with her in real life. She burst onto the Irish comedy scene back in 2014. And within less than a year, she became the co-host of RTE's flagship comedy show. RTE is like the Irish BBC. And she also co-wrote and starred in a stage show, Separated at Birth, which was a comedy all about her adoption. She has sold out solo stand-up shows all across Dublin and she's been nominated for multiple Dublin Fringe Festival Awards, including Best Performer and Best Production. And she's now come to London and she's gigging all around London and it's really exciting that she's now living here. She is such an energetic and hilarious performer and I got to sit down with her at Off The Curb, which is a brilliant comedy management company and um, we chatted about so much we chatted about how to write shows how to handle tough crowds how she got into comedy kind of by accident her struggles with body image and also some of the breakups that have turned into really great comedy material Um, I absolutely love Joanne I think she is just hilarious I was cracking up during this interview a lot and I think you will have a giggle as well so I hope you enjoy it thank you so much for listening please remember to rate and review the podcast if you enjoyed listening to it thanks again and here it is So excited to be here with Joanna McNally. I'm in your agent's office. It's very fancy. It is. Lots of... um, Very famous people on the walls. Lots of famous people on the walls and lots of trophies and lots of DVDs. I know. I I, I own none of them. (laughs) Just to clarify. (laughs) Well, I wanted to say for the listeners and I've just said it to you in person that you are my favorite thing at Edinburgh Fringe thank you it was so good it was hilarious the crowd loved it I just felt like I went home and instantly I was like what ones do I remember oh Joanne's show 100% remember so many bits of it and for me that's a show I remember as the bits that I that really stay with me yeah I think that's a good sign yeah so it's called Wine Tamer Wine Tamer yeah it was about sexism it was about feminism it was about dating family yeah. I mean yeah. quite there wasn't it's not the same like I spoke about it in the show as in there's kind of pressure in Edinburgh to have a themed show which actually helps you when you're writing it because it's easier to write around a theme than just write around nothing and just kind of like pulling jokes out of the sky um but there was no real theme to Wine Tamer it was it was just about me having been living in my mum's attic and then um, falling in love and then moving in with him and then realizing how difficult that was. And then kind of like whether to have babies and stuff like that. It was kind of like... It was very relatable. Yeah. So many people, I mean, there was, it, there weren't just women in the audience, but everyone was like, yeah, this is, this. you're telling the truth, which is what comedy is, I suppose. Yeah. You're saying the stuff that none of us can say. And I think as well, and I'm only kind of learning as I go as well. I think the key to stand up, that's why the likes of Michael McIntyre is so successful it's that people kind of just want to hear stuff they already know 
if yeah. you know what I mean. Like they just want to hear stuff that they do in their own lives, except told in a funny way, <laughs> I think, you know? Totally. Yeah. One bit of your show, though, that really stood out to me in terms of, wow, I haven't actually heard this before, is you kind of made a joke about how because you don't have depression, you have no material. <laughs> and I just, everyone was laughing because although that sounds obviously very, um, not very PC, yeah. it, it is sort of pinpointing something at the moment where everyone's kind of talking about the same thing. It's become almost like trendy to be anxious, not to downplay people that actually are. But anyway, hearing that was very refreshing. Do you I, like that sort of shock factor? Yeah, I do. I don't think I'm a shocking comic, but I do like playing with... I, I don't want to be very PC. I'm not a worthy comic. I'm not trying to make a massive point about anything. I just want to have a good time and I want my audience to have a good time. And I think playing with things a little bit like that, like I think I, I said depression is the new Pilates and then... Um, kind of playing with things like race and it's never it's never offensive but like Jesus you're at the stage now you're like can I even say the words like and I I, I find that really annoying so I'm almost kind of pushing back against that a little bit like I'm not reinventing the wheel do you know what I mean like but I do feel suffocated with being told what I can and can't say and like people's offence and having to factor in their offence and actually their offence is none of my business and that's why I actually really like kind of Ricky Gervais mm, and I stuff. I was just thinking of him. Yeah, because he's, he's, he is, he just kind of says it. And I know that there's, I know that uh, like in my, in my personal life, I, like I am quite PC, I would think. Um, but on stage, I think there's no problem kind of pushing things a little bit. And yeah, I mean, if I see, like if, I, if someone cries on Instagram, I, I, that's it, I, I cut them. I'll just cut them. I'm like, I don't, like, what is that? There's something really dark and weird about that. Like, looking for validation from, for your sadness. I don't know. I just, now listen, I wrote a stand-up show about bulimia. Like, I'm no saint. But at the time, it was all I had because it was all that I was doing. Was I was just really busy being bulimic. So I had nothing else to write about. Um, so it's not like I haven't milked my own personal experiences like that's what you do as a stand-up you've nothing else to milk you have to milk your own personal experiences um but then yeah you're right like it's dark to then think oh I can only do comedy or I can only make art or I can only write or do anything if I have a problem yeah and like there's I, as well in comedy like I've done interviews before where they've just come out straight out and asked like where's your what's where's your pain and I'm like what I'm not in pain like and I, I think it's a really dangerous way of going about it that suddenly I feel like I have to develop a severe case of OCD to write another Edinburgh show yeah like go away for a year before you do Edinburgh and, and try and mess your life up a bit yeah. or something like and as well I think as a as an audience member and I am like I'm a, I'm a performer but I'm also an audience member and I go to see shows a lot I love going to see shows and I honestly don't want to go and hear someone talk about their depression anymore and I don't want someone I don't want to go and see shows I love a journey don't get me wrong but I like an irreverent journey mm. I don't like the the earnestness of it yeah and I I'm agree. sick of it I have earnest fatigue <laughs> if that is the word but being a comedian I suppose must be very exposing but 
you sound like someone who just really enjoys enjoys it is that is that always the case it's only because i only say that because with like ricky gervais for example even though he says he doesn't care he also then just like sits on twitter kind of yeah. crying does he well in his show in his new show humanity human, humanity yeah I mean, he just sounds like he does sit at home all day Googling his own name. Yeah, he does sound like... I'm kind of fascinated by Ricky Gervais because I think Same. he's amazing. and But I also think the man has an ego the size of London. Have you ever seen his intros to his own shows? And I don't know if he's doing it to be ironic or it's like tongue in cheek, but he has this like X Factor voice and it's like this really dramatic opera music and then the X Factor voice is like 10 times nominated, like all this <laughs> stuff. And then this tiny man walks out and he's like, hello. And it's just, it's so bizarre. Um, I remember that was his whole thing though. Like every time he did anything, he would like get a DVD out. It was almost like self-promotion, but but then it becomes... But I kind of liked it because it was so, it was so honest. Yeah, it becomes... What you start doing ironically becomes your reality if you know the kind of way but I do feel exposed I don't do any online stuff I've nothing online um because I would feel I, I know that the the there's comedians who came up after me at home and it's obviously the same here and they're they've gotten huge success or they've built huge profiles because they um put sketches up on Facebook or like wherever YouTube and stuff and I just can't bring myself to do that I don't know why it's just like this wall hopefully I'll, I'll crack it and I, I will do that stuff because it's a great way of um like building an audience and finding people that like your stuff um that must be a hard one to tread because um you know, you don't want to give away your best jokes for free online. Yeah, that's the other thing. Because once something is on telly or whatever, it's kind of dead then. You can't really use it again. Um, but yeah, I don't have... That would feel... Uh, that would feel... I'd feel too vulnerable if I did that. I would feel too exposed. I like doing comedy in controlled environments. Yeah. Do you know that way? Yeah. Yeah. Did, so did you enjoy Edinburgh this year? And what is it like? Because did you do quite a few shows? Yeah, so I did my own show... Um, for the run, so that's for the three weeks, and oh, then you did the whole three weeks. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and then I did um, collaborate, like uh, what do you call them, little stand-up gigs in other venues, like the best of oh, yeah. the fest and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's full on. Like Edinburgh's like a tour of duty. That's it is. Like it's 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 quite painful. Now look, I'm not saving lives. Do you know what I mean? Like there's people out there with more stressful jobs. But you're you're on your own all the time. Like I'm so glad I get on with my agent and I just hang out of her for a month, which I'm sure she finds incredibly irritating. But she really has no choice because she's kind of professionally obligated to do it, which is great. Um, you're on your own all the time. You get up, you go flyering. I flyered for like two hours a day. God. Um, because I mean, it has to be done, doesn't it? It Has to be done. I've no profile in Edinburgh at all, but I want people at my show. And as well, flyering is kind of cool because I like chatting to people. I don't find flyering that painful. Um, it'd be worse if you're like a very kind of introverted type of person. Flyering would be absolute hell, but you still have to do it because it's three and a half thousand shows a day on in Edinburgh. So that's what you're competing with. Yeah, and you're comp- you're up against people who have been doing Edinburgh for 20 years, like the David O'Doherty's and the Foil yeah. Arms and Hogs and the um, Darrow Breans and um, sure, here were you, like, you're sure you're nobody. But the thing about flyering is nice because you get to kind of handpick your audience. So I would just find women who were like, 
getting pissed on Prosecco and I'd be like you'll like it yeah and, and bring them in and then afterwards you're doing your own little gigs and then you're having a couple of wines and then the thing it all starts again the next day and it does you're constantly selling yourself that's what I find exhausting mm. I'm not a natural hustler yeah. if I could change one thing about myself I'd love to have a better hustle I don't mm. have a good hustle because you, you don't know who's going to come into the show some people you've flyered some people have come through word of mouth um, some people might know you from home some people have just randomly mm. and sometimes plucked it's like you out of the 85 year old couple in the front row yeah and then sometimes they're the ones you can uh, you can judge them and be like oh Jesus this is going to be no crack and then they're great crack and it's so hard to tell and then the group of young girls who you thought were going to have the time of their lives are just throwing you shade for an hour you're like what's going on <laughs> um, but this one night anyway this large group of elderly people came in and I knew I like I was like oh god oh god oh god <laughs> and of course elderly people love being the first in places they're incredibly punctual so they were all in the front row because they'd been waiting to queuing for like half an hour because that's what elderly people do um my mum so organized so organized like my mum would be in the airport three days before her flight (laughs) um so so I was like oh god oh god in the front row it's I I look I do a lot of crowd work and you know chatting to them and stuff so if the if the front row aren't giving me anything like none of them that's shit do you know what I mean like that's not setting you're kind of setting yourself up for a really tough gig I mean don't sit in the front row at Edinburgh if you're not gonna although sometimes when I was flying people they'd say do you talk to, are you gonna make us talk and I'd say no and then they'd say do you mention Brexit and I'd say no and only one of them is true <laughs> I never mentioned Brexit but I did make them talk but anyway these big group of people come in elderly people and it just wasn't for them they sat there with their arms folded. Like, most of them were men, you know. Mm, I um, thought they'd like the dirty joke. I love, like, uh, what I I think about myself, whether I'm right or wrong, is, and I think I'm right judging from the people who come to my shows. I'm, for guys and girls, I would never position myself as, like, a female comic or a feminist yeah. comic or anything like that. I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm, I want to kind of bring both in and have the crack with both of them. Um but these lads, no, absolute hell. They just stared at me for an hour. It was just a staring game. And then, of course, because they were such shit crack, it kind of rippled back. And there was someone big, there was some woman in from Universal or something. And I was like, oh, God. And I basically just talked for an hour. And I, you're kind of going, I could say, I could stop and be like, here, lads, you have to give me something. But I was like, no, because I remember being at a gig before and someone did that. The act did that. And as an, I was sitting in the audience going, oh, I didn't realize we were a shit audience. I thought we were actually having, because right. I haven't been to the other yeah. shows. So and I'm I enjoying it. And I'm enjoying yeah. it. So um, I think starting on your audience isn't a great idea either. Although mm. you do feel like doing it sometimes. But I think it's always your fault. It's always your fault. You have to accept that it's always your fault. It's the act's mm. fault. It's never the audience's fault. When you hear comedians blaming their audience, you're like, they're, n- yeah. they're not going to make it because they're, they have the wrong attitude, do you know that way? Although on this occasion, I think it was definitely their fault. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think everything that you're saying can be applied to anyone that does any public speaking. You can't focus on the ones that don't like it because it could be like 80% are loving it. But yeah. they're just... Also, when I'm at Edinburgh, I try and make an effort to like laugh audibly. But when I'm loving a show, I don't actually make a sound. Okay. Oh, you're one and of them. And so that's annoying, isn't it? You're one of them. Yeah, like I'm absolutely loving it, but I'm sort of silently laughing. Yeah. So you never know anyway. I know, you never know. And I've heard comedians get really frustrated with audiences and said things like, you're allowed to laugh, guys. These are jokes. And then, of course, the night, it's it's over. Like it's done, it's gates yeah, because yeah. 
you've ba- you can't be hostile with your audience. You just can't. They've paid money to come in and see you. They're entitled to not like you. I They're entitled to, the, to, to think you're terrible and hate your jokes. They're entitled to that. Yeah. It doesn't feel good, but that is their right. <laughs> it's true. I, I remember Russell Brand once um, calling it, once saying, when I'm on stage, I work for you. Yeah. As in like my job is just to just to do my best here. Entertain. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Like, so I do, say I'm doing a corporate gig or something. Um, I would tailor, like some people, some comedians would say, no, 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 no. This is my set. This is my material. Like it or lump it. I'm not going to like change myself for you, you being the audience. Mm. Whereas I'm much less confident in things like that I'd be like no 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 what you need what you need it's the same in relationships what can I do what can I do what you need what you need me to do um so I'd be I'd be kind of similar to him I'd be like yeah I'm your I'm your performing seal for the next hour what do you what do you need from me what do you want me to do yeah I've never heard it explained like that but I was like oh yeah it's it's I mean you are a a job and and that's still there's myth this myth I think of like if you have a really fun job then you should just do it because you love it but it's like no you can want to make money and you know yeah it's a job oh yeah I wondered if being a comedian and kind of dealing with these different types of people in the room impacts your life in any way and just makes you more confident like knowing that you can make so many people laugh and deal Uh, with any situation um yeah I think it definitely does yes like before I went into comedy I did I, I did have confidence in some situations and then no confidence in, in others. I think I got really caught up with my physical appearance. I didn't think I was attractive. I thought I was too fat and then I ended up going mental. Like and, every woman ever. Yeah, of course. And I assumed that my only worth, that the only thing I had to offer the world was how I looked. And if I wasn't considered attractive enough, then I had no worth. That was my total headspace on it so that's why I need to be really thin and I have to be the thinnest and all my validation came through my weight basically so I wasn't confident in that regard but I knew that I could kind of I was always a bit of a show pony as in I I never did acting or anything I would have loved to have done it but my parents they'd be fairly conservative and acting would have been considered like a hobby it's not your job but I did kind of acting when I was like a very young child and I knew that I liked it and I I knew I was good at it but good at it the way they judge children being good at acting is if they can project their voice which I could do so I could stand on stage and shout which as a child that makes you like an Oscar nominee basically that's all they want from kids um and then so I kind of lost myself a bit and then when I came out of the eating disorder and I was coming into comedy I got my confidence back but yeah, no, it definitely, it makes you quite self-contained almost. Because um, you're like, I do a lot of my, like I'm traveling, I'm on my own a lot of the time. I have to be really organized, which I'm so not, I'm not a naturally organized person. And suddenly now I'm kind of trying to, like the amount of flights I've missed, the amount of passports <laughs> I've lost, the amount of bank cards I've lost. I bet your agent loves you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like oh, I can't make I can't make the gig. I've lost my passport again. Like I'm a bit chaotic, um, but no, I would have confidence going into a room that I can hold an audience and things like that. Yeah, I would yeah. have confidence in those abilities. Thank God, or else this job would be hell. <laughs> if I was shitting it all the time, I'd be exhausted. 
I wonder if there are people who love putting themselves through like the pain of it but yeah you'd you'd expect people to enjoy it I know that's like I think I think you can tell when you watch a performer if they really like it or if they don't and I know acts I know both those type of acts and my I know one comedian from home and he was riddled with stage fright so like he'd be fallen like cramped over before he went on stage and sweating and and like pacing and and nerves we all get nervous like uh, uh, nerves are really important their adrenaline is reminding you you're about to do something important like wake up bring your a game Mm. but if if it's debilitating if it's if you're if it's kind of taking over your life I just wouldn't do it and I remember asking him why do you do it then and he said I've no plan b I can't do anything else this is the only thing I can do but he went to um a hypnotist and stuff and I think he's actually okay now but yeah because I've read um I've mentioned her today already but Adele um she's sick on people in the front row because she gets so much uh, stage fright it's kind of incredible but like I I mean what I'm doing at the level I'm at it's grand do you know that way if I was at her level well mm. you know what I mean do like singing like that and all I don't know like you can have that incredible talent like she has it doesn't mean that you also have all that confidence to get out into the stage and perform yeah. and which I is know. why I think it's nice to grow quite steadily because you're just always growing. You're always becoming more popular, but it's not kind of ever crazy overnight thing. I think you're totally right, yeah. Because when I started, I was in a rush. I was like, I, I want this. I want the next thing to happen. I want the next thing to happen. But you're totally right. If you're not ready for it, mm-hmm. it can be a disaster. Like I know I've heard stories about people who found overnight success online and they could sell loads of tickets so they booked out big venues and they could set, they sold it out, but they weren't ready and the show wasn't strong. And, and then you're, you're losing your audience then instead of building your audience. So I think you're right. I think things should happen naturally at the stage that you are at for them to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you do get overnight success, how do you deal with that? How do you go from like having no profile to being world wide famous literally mm. in the space for a week I don't know how anyone does that I don't know how either and, and I think it's actually really nice when you start seeing some success at an age where you just like know yourself yeah because I, I find that you know I'm not anywhere where I want to be really but I'm, I know I'm getting there and it's like I'm, ter- I'm going I'm turning 30 next year and I'm like oh I think that's going to be a good decade yeah and I know that I'm not gonna I'm gonna appreciate it as well I don't understand how anyone knows what they want to do when they're young. I remember when I was in school, there was a girl, Nula Clinton was her name, and she wanted to be, we were 17, and I didn't know, I didn't know we were doing our leaving cert, which is your, whatever exams you do, is it the, to get into uni here? Oh, A-levels. A-levels, yeah. right. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I have no idea. Now I just know I want to have a fag in the bike shed. Like, I'm 17, I don't know. And yeah. she was like, I want to be a radiographer. And she is a radiographer. I was like, wow. how does anyone... That's so rare, yeah. ...know that? So I still don't know. Like, I still kind of fantasize about going back and retraining as a psychiatrist. Like, I have no... And I think mm. I like that. I like not knowing where I'm going. I find it kind of weirdly reassuring. Totally. And um, you can reinvent yourself at any time. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And I think people who get locked into jobs kind of early, and I feel the same about marriage. Like, I feel like mm. people who get married in their 20s, I don't know how they do it because I'm, I'm a different person to the person I was two months ago. 
Like yeah. I really am. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So. I, I listened back to a podcast where I was a guest two months ago and I was like, who's that? Yeah. I was saying stuff I don't even think anymore. It's kind of crazy. It is funny, isn't it? Like, but, but you did you did quite a big TV interview last year, didn't you? Where you opened up a, quite a bit. Oh yeah, the Tommy Tiernan show. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I wanted to ask you about that because did you get like more of an audience off the back of that? Like had people connected to you in a new way? Did they just feel like they wanted to go and see you live because they'd seen this different side of you it's like it's like what we were talking about earlier like when I first started my first no my first show was actually about adoption but a comedy show about adoption um so the Tommy Tiernan chat show at home the thing is he brings you out and he doesn't know who the guest is until you sit down so there's nothing kind of pre-planned so Tommy was just I'd met Tommy a couple of times through gigs he's huge at, at home but um he didn't know anything about me, so we got chatting, and I, the I think I was touring about me at the time, and he was asking about my eating disorder, and I was talking about it. In those situations, I'm happy to talk about it, but also I have this weird worry about, like what we were talking about earlier, I don't want to be the woman who's always talking about bulimia at mm-hmm. the same time. And like I've been asked to do, I get asked to do talks for eating disorder clinics and um, come on and talk specifically about weight related issues on chat shows and stuff and I don't do them because look it's my story I'm entitled to tell it if and when I want but I I I don't want to be the kind of you know the tragedy tourists that are just constantly rolling out their sad stories to get likes I don't maybe you don't want to be pigeonholed as well that's the other thing um, yeah, I definitely don't want to be pigeonholed. Um, that's why I didn't do, and I felt bad not doing any of those eating disorder events and stuff. But I was like, no, it's just, like you say, I, I've more to be talking about. I've kind of moved on now. But it's still a huge part of my background, and it, it's what got me into stand-up because I was so on the floor. Like, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know my arse from my elbow, and I was taught, I, I was in my mind, I was like, if I can't be the skinniest woman in Ireland there's no point to anything like I had nothing to recover for until I got into comedy and then that was something I could recover for that was worth recovering for and also I think um the eating disorder actually was just my brain saying you're unhappy you're in you're living the wrong life for yourself you need to stop get out Mm. reboot which is what I had to do um so in a way I wouldn't change it I wouldn't change it at all even though it was a disaster um but it kind of got me to where I am now and I'm happy where I am now. And I feel like I'm starting to build something for myself a little bit here in the UK now. And um, I wouldn't have any of that. If I hadn't had the eating disorder, I'd still be working in public relations. Mm. Desperately unhappy and very unfulfilled. It's amazing that you spoke about that. But at the same time, it sounds so healthy for you to know when when you want to talk about it and when you don't, instead of just talking about it because someone's asked you to yeah and like specifically kind of and I think the longer I'm recovered the the cooler I am with it as well like when at first I was so embarrassed about it because like anorexia is almost like this now obviously this is the warped mentality of someone when I was very sick but like to me anorexia was chic because you just refused things you just said no you know what I mean? No, I don't want. Whereas bulimia was this like, like you're like binging and purging and it's messy and it's dirty. And I was so ashamed of it. So it definitely, and I knew when I, when I first, 
I remember when I first did an interview about it because I was brand new to telly and I was only doing comedy six months when I got my first telly job, which I was definitely not ready for. We're talking about like kind of getting a platform too soon. That was way too soon. But I, but the bulimia thing came up. I was like, the truth is I kind of fudged the facts at the time, but I was still I was still going to therapy. I was still an outpatient um, in an eating disorder clinic when I started in comedy mm. but I pretended I was further down the road than I was right. but this I can't remember what paper it was it was a tabloid anyway printed this big story um, Joanne McNally um, sits in toilet all day getting, making herself sick I was like and I was so embarrassed I just went into a hole again I was like mm. oh god and it just reminded me we're talking about control and like that I was like, I'm not happy to kind of put it out there and have people talk about me like that. Yeah, because it's okay when it's coming out of your mouth, but if someone's putting a headline on it, that's just... And making it sound as grim and depressing as I... Making it sound as disgusting as I thought people thought I was for having it, if you know that kind of way. It basically fed into my biggest fears about it. Um, But now I feel quite removed from it, which is nice for me Mm. personally. And also it makes me more able to talk about it but like that I don't want it to be I'm kind of uh, you know my thing as such mm. because but is your next show totally different yeah so my next show is again it's just stand up at the moment I'm trying to figure out I'd love it to have like a cabaret feel I'd love to like come out of a Prosecco glass or something <laughs> I'm that- so intrigued about how Edinburgh shows are written because and and I'm not asking you to like reveal your secrets. I don't that must any. be such an annoying question. But where, I guess because I'm just interested in in the art form. But I watched the hour and I'm like, wow. And then I think someone wrote that. Mm. Like that's not just an hour of just like random stuff. That's like someone sat down and put this all together so amazingly. And like, how does someone do that? I know. Well, some people have. There's people that work differently. Like I know comedians who've never put pen to paper in their lives and they just mm. go up on stage with an idea and they kind of work around it and improv and see what works and what doesn't work. I'm not like that. Like I'm pen, paper, um, write, 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 edit, delete, write, write. Um, and then going to gigs and recording it and seeing what they actually laugh at because... Oh, do you record it on your phone? Yeah. I, I, see, I see people do that. Yeah. It must be really interesting. Yeah. And it's hell. Like I, I had to look <laughs> oh, at my own show. Back. It's hell. It's torture. It's like it's Guantanamo Bay shit. Like I had to watch my own show back recently um, for whatever reason. And it was... I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, because you can, you're writing at home... And you could think, Jesus, this is absolute gold. Oh my God, how did I think of this? And then you bring it into the club and everyone's looking at you going, what was that? That was embarrassing. You're like, oh Jesus. <laughs> um, and then there's something else that you don't think there's anything in. You don't know until you're standing on stage if it's any that's good or so not. so interesting. So there's actually more, the, that's why shows, comedy shows, I find them, um, they're very, it's very difficult. It's a difficult process because not only are you just writing, but then you have to remember it. Then you have to act. You have to perform it. You have to see if it's funny. That's the real stinger. Like you could write two. You know, you could be writing all week, and you might get one laugh out of it in a club. And okay, do that's you probably get, a bad example. And do you ever get anything out of a total accident? Like you do something on off the cuff, and yeah, and then you put it in the show. Yeah, I yeah yeah yeah. No, that would happen. That would happen a good bit. Like. I had this joke before I, when I was back living in my mum's attic and I was like, I have to move out because all the girls have started calling me Joanne Frank. And that was a total off the cuff thing. But 
I ended up keeping that joke for ages because people really liked it. Um, but then there might have been another joke that I sat down and spent ages on that they I got nothing. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a mishmash of things, really. There's no one way of doing it. And if I figure out how to do it, I will tell you because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And I do find, I remember, I can't remember who said it, but they were like, I don't enjoy writing. I enjoy the, I, I don't enjoy the process of writing. I enjoy having written. Yeah. I'm very like that. I really enjoy being able to get something published and it gives me great satisfaction and I, I love being able to put a show together once it's together. The process of doing it, I absolutely despise it. <laughs> I hate it. It's, it's like pulling teeth. It's mm-hmm. painful. Um, but then when, you're, when you've got the product at the end, you're delighted. It's, I think it's kind of like childbirth. You kind of forget how torturous it was to get it together. Do you know that way? Yeah, and I haven't had and a then <laughs> Well, I've, I've not done it either. But either. Um, yeah, seeing those stars roll in, getting your reviews and actually like seeing faces in the audience must be all worth it. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I think it is, yeah. Talk to me in 10 years time, I don't know. <laughs> but at the moment, I think it is, yeah. Who are your biggest inspirations in comedy? Is there anyone that you look up to and you're like, oh, I do want to do what you've done or you're in your style? Or are you just carving your own path? I'm... I remember before, because I was brought into comedy, it was kind of an accident. I didn't plan it. Um, I ended up doing this, telling a story on a stage one night, and then this comedian suggested I, I was broken up with by this bald lad, which ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. Bulimia and a bald man are my two... <laughs> the two my bees. Two, my two, the two best things that ever happened to me. Um, and I was telling the story about being broken up with by this bald lad because... <laughs> At I love that you, it's important that everyone knows he's bold. Yeah, because well, this was the whole thing. And, and um, I used to call him, because I couldn't use his real name, so I used to call him Pykel. So I was saying that... Oh, yeah. Pykel. You in remember Pykel, um, yeah. Wine tamer. Yeah. So I was... He Pykel had been kind of sniffing around me for a while and I wasn't interested because... Not just because he was bald, but other factors. And then I hit 30 and I, I, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to give Pykel a go. So I got together with Pykel and as is my absolute tradition once I'd given him my flower do you know that when you have sex you're you release the same hormones that you do when you give birth it's like an attachment thing oh I knew there was an attachment thing yeah and that's why you're crying being like text me back and yeah. the guy's like I'm not bothered yeah because he's like had his way he's like he's empty he's an empty vessel he's on to the next thing I think they re- they must um they detach they literally like Like the opposite the opposite happens with them yeah they're just like suctioned out like a barnacle (laughs) being removed from a ship and we're uh, and i'm there going i love i love you like after like 24 hours so that's what happened with pykel i fell for him completely and um he just looked like a full-headed haired man to me i was like mad about him and of course three months in he went actually do you know what you're all right and he broke up with me. And I, oh, I was... I hate men like that because it's happened to me before. It's like, you pursued me. <laughs> I know. But then and like, then the tables have turned. I know. It's like, but it, it, there's a real stinger in it because you're like, did he just get to know me? And he was like, actually, you're grand. What happened? I don't know. I ne- we never talked about it because he broke up with me in front of two of my other friends in his house one evening. And I, to say I didn't see it coming, like, and I'd be quite paranoid. Like, I'm like other boyfriends, I'm like, 
is everything okay? Is everything, is it me? Is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, everything's grand. I'm just hungry. Whereas Pika, like genuinely just didn't see it coming. I was thinking we were going to be moving in together. I had it all planned out. Um, so I left. I just walked straight out of the house and went up to a, my friends were having a party up the road. Thank God. Um, and then I wouldn't take his calls or anything because I'm quite proud. Well, I can be at times. And then he sent flowers to my office. Black roses? He sent me black roses, right? And a card. And I was like, this is so mental. And the card was like, sorry. He just said like, sorry, it happened the way it did. You know, I think you're great. The usual bullshit. And I emailed him that night. And I was, it, was, it was Valentine's Day. No, it was the day before Valentine's Day, the day after. And I emailed him going, you can imagine my delight on receiving a bouquet of flowers to the office. You can imagine my horror when I opened the card and realized it was you breaking up with me again <laughs> via the medium of interflora. But By I was like, the medium of flowers that look like they're for a funeral. Yeah. It was so, the whole thing was very bizarre. Anyway, I was telling this story on stage and I was like, Pika, you know, he was breaking up with me and I was like, sorry, just to interrupt you there. Do you know you're bald? The story sounds like you think you've got a full head of hair. It was all that. <laughs> and it was through that story that someone suggested this comedian was like, look, do you want to do a couple of minutes at my show? And I said, yeah, Grant. And that's kind of how it started. Oh, wow. So you, you told the story of Pika. Yeah. And then someone was just like, oh my God, you have to do this. They were like, well, he, because he, he was saying to me, the comedian was saying, he was like, because the idea of stand up, of course, is terrifying. Um, I'd never done anything like that. that. You were like, oh, I'll tell a story. Yeah, because it wasn't, I wasn't doing stand up. I was in this show called Singlehood, which was being directed by a friend of mine who she'd been working in the civil service at the time and she was slowly losing the will to live and she decided she wanted to get into theatre as well. So she put this show together called Singlehood and it was like half real people, I was a real person, and half comedians talking about their love lives. Real simple. It was a fringe show, it was for the Dublin fringe. Real simple um, idea, but really well executed she did a really good job on it and I mean who hasn't been dumped or married or whatever it was everyone could relate to someone so she put me in that show because at the time I wasn't working because I was unwell um and so it was from that show that that comedian came was like you should do stand-up so it was a very fortunate accident and a lot of timing really yeah and yeah, thank God, oh Pykel broke up God, with me. Oh my God, yeah, thanks, Pykel. Thank you, At least Pykel. you brought something. Um, well, finally, just to end that amazing conversation, it's so nice to meet you in person. Um, and you, I'm a huge fan. That's I mean, you, no, oh but God, that's, I, I couldn't believe, I refuse to believe that. I was fangirling you in, on Twitter and I was like, don't do it back. Like, you're like, I was like, Emma Gannon. And I was like, oh my God, you're like, if you ever want to do the podcast, and I was like, are you, <laughs> hi, yes, I want to do the podcast. I want to do the podcast now. My biggest um, failure this year in Edinburgh was not bringing my microphones to Edinburgh. Oh, know, I'm going to do that next year, I think. Yeah, It'll totally. So fun. Or even do a live show if yeah. you're around. Yeah, of course. Oh, I'll be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what are you looking forward to next year? Broad question. Can be a holiday, can be work, what can be anything. am I looking forward to? Um, I've no real social life at the moment to speak of, but that's okay. I've written off my social life for three years. It's got to be done sometime. I, yeah, and I'll come out of the hole at the end. Um, but I'm actually doing Bite Me, which is that... Um, believe me a comedy show in the vault festival next oh the vault festival yeah yeah um in march which i'm really looking Amazing. forward to doing i'll come to that um oh yeah do come do come yeah it's and in london right it's in london yeah. yeah oh yeah no we don't have to travel <laughs> i do god forbid i love ireland though don't get me wrong oh yeah no no it's definitely not over there they've they it's that's had its run over there um and i'm doing my first 
headline show in Vicker Street in Dublin um, in April. And Vicker Street is kind of like our iconic comedy venue. So that's Amazing. something to work towards. And then in a weird kind of sadistic way. Is sadistic when you paint, put paint on yourself? Yeah. What, is it? I'm kind of looking forward to Edinburgh. That's interesting. So yeah. many people say that. They say it's so tough. It's so hard. It's a bit like can't wait to do it again. Yeah, it's weird. Like childbirth maybe. Exactly. Yeah, it's something like that. And I am at the moment um, trying to conceive a show and then I will birth it. I will start birthing it slowly over the summer doing previews and stuff. Plus, like, I know I sound real gushy about London, but I'm so happy to be in London. I'm kind of obsessed with it. So you've been here for a while. So I was traveling back and forth from Dublin. Like once I got signed with Curb, I knew then I was like, right, I'm going to move because I want to make the most of that opportunity. So I was going back and forth from Dublin because I had to kind of start again in the clubs here, doing open spots and stuff. So I wasn't making money off the clubs here, whereas I, I, I was making money at home. So I was trying to be sensible about it. But then you just end up sitting in airports all the time. And I'm not... You know, I'm sure, I bet you could like write a book in an airport. I can't do anything. Only like fanny around in the makeup section and like eat sandwiches out of bags. That's all I can do. Um, So I felt like I was wasting a lot of my time and I wanted to come to London. Like I love it. There's just so much to do. It feels really exciting to be kind of sat here. I mean, this, your management company, like it's the best one. It's very exciting time. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, These were who I wanted. So that was Mm. like... A massive thing. Well, you're so great and everyone listening needs to go and watch you because Thank you it's much. hilarious and it's it's just you. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it, but like you have to watch it. It's so good. Thanks a million. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye.